This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. And welcome into the show this morning, Hunt Fish Talk. Glad to have you aboard. I'm Keith Washer, and this morning I'm joined by president, the president of the Louisiana Outdoor Riders Association, Wendy Billiard, a.k.a. the Bayou Woman. And Don Dubuque as well. Good morning, Don and Wendy. Good morning. What's Don, happening I down on the you. bayou? <laughs> Lots of Don, pollen talk... on the bayou. <laughs> yeah. Pollen on the bayou. Sounds like a title oh. of a new book. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Just, you know, if you want to get the sniffles and be afraid you you might be coming down with the coronavirus, just go work in the yard. <laughs> yeah, as long as what we don't have any do corona right on the bayou. No corona yeah. on the bayou unless it's unless it's got lime with it. Well, I tell you, <laughs> exactly. it, it doesn't take us long here in South Louisiana to, to, to turn on spring, huh? It's just like you snap your finger one week and, man, it's, mm-hmm. it's done. It mm-hmm. seems like everything's green. Donna talked to Jeff Bull about your trip, the Sakale trip on the Chifunka. It sounds like the Sakale made you sweat a bit before turning on later that afternoon, huh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it sounded a lot like your trip with him, too, with the skipper, <laughs> the champion of skipping in the front of the boat, you know? <laughs> Boy, he's really good at that. He's good at that technique, yeah. isn't he? And it looks easier than it is because there was numerous yes, times. Yes, it does. I said, give me that. Let me try this. How hard can it be? <laughs> and I just could not get it to skip. You know, as hard as I threw it, I think it's all in that wrist. <laughs> yeah, somewhere. Now, he's got a lot of practice at it. He's out there today working them over, so we should get a report from him. Good deal, good deal. Well, this morning we're not going to be talking about soccer. Right? We'll be talking uh, speckled trout. Uh, the situation that we find ourselves here uh, in here in Louisiana uh, all came out last spring when some numbers were leaked from the department, and those numbers showed numerous alarm, alarming statistics, including um, the spawning stock biomass being at the lowest levels ever observed, um, age three and over females being caught were at its lowest levels ever observed, and the recreational landings um, are at its lowest levels since 1990. Um, since then, the numbers have been confirmed. The state says they've, they've been overfished for at least six years, and it looks as if the uh, trend is going to continue if there isn't anything done to, to reverse the trend. Um, the department is done with all the public meetings and the presentations, and now we're just waiting for the commission to see it, and then they'll have the final say as, as to what needs to be done. Um, last month we had, you know, our hunt fish talk show and we talked all about this, but Wendy was the only one to have attended one of these meetings. Uh, that meeting was held in gray, Louisiana. And since then, Jason Adrians has appeared in numerous other locations with his presentation. And Don and I got the chance to attend one, the one in Slidell, 
Um, so that's where I want to start this morning. I'd like to get everyone's take on the presentation. And not only that, I'd like to, to hear what you thought about the comments that were made afterwards, because um, if you listen to the public, uh, the charter captains and the recreational fishermen, you can really get some, some good feedback as to where the public stands on this. So let's start out with that. I'll start with you, Don, and get your take of the presentation, and then we can kind of zoom in on different elements of it as the, as the show progresses. Well, i got to tell you, I uh, contacted Jason after that and thanked him and congratulated him for putting on what I thought was a very good presentation. I also liked the employment of the clicker situation. That really helped speed the thing along and gave you immediate results. Uh, if I had any criticism of it, the only thing I would say was I, I didn't like the choice of answers that they gave to the fishermen. I thought it was too broad. There was a, like, I like it a lot. I like it a little bit. I like it more than a little bit, a little less than a little bit. I don't like it at all. Too many variables. You know, I like to live in a black and white world, unfortunately. Everything to do with biology is a gray area. And I would have liked to have seen maybe a good, better, best, but as far as giving too many choices to the fishermen, because I think it's too hard to glean exactly where they stand on it when you give them that many uh, choices. I I think he probably would have had uh, an answer for that if I would present it to him and tell him that. I'm sure there's some reason why he fashioned it in that style, but just personally I would have rather seen it given the fishermen less less choices to deal with. I think it would have resulted in a little bit better reflection of what the true opinion is. But uh, other than that, I thought it was great. I really congratulate the entire department for taking the stance of really involving the public and getting their opinions and even taking it further than public hearings and going out and emailing surveys to ask people what they think about it. I don't think those should be given the strength that those that appeared because they are much more informed if you went to that meeting he spent a lot of time giving you the history of how they collect the data what it means how they interpret it and then the choices that could arise out of this i thought that was an excellent job conversely if you just listen to the last hour i think we get the complete opposite in our turkey program where the public is basically shut out they're not asked for their opinion they don't have any input into it they're not even asked to volunteer to help make things better uh whereas speckled trout i I thought overall if i had to give them uh on a scale of one to ten i'd probably give them an 8.5 to a nine on the presentation Don, yeah, did it? I, did the presentation itself take about an hour? I, I didn't time it. I, I don't know. Keith, you were there at the same one I was. Do you think it was an hour long or maybe a little longer on the presentation? Just a little, a little bit. longer than that. It did, but he, he did a good job at, at, keep, at keeping those slides going and moving on. Uh, the time they gave us to, to vote, it didn't really take that long, and everybody voted uh, pretty quick. Uh, now, we did struggle with time when the comments and the questions afterwards. That seemed to drag on. Um, everybody had some pretty, you know, they're pretty opinionated when they got up there. So you kind of struggled to, to close that off. But um, as far as the, the presentation, it was, a, it was just a little over an hour. But, Don, um, as far as the selections, and I heard somebody mention that that was, that's how Sea Grant, Louisiana Sea Grant, uh, orchestrates all the little selections as far as breaking it down into strongly approved or slightly approved and all that. So I don't know if that has anything to do with Louisiana Department of Wildlife Fisheries. Jason yeah, well, clarified. Secret. I'm sorry, Don. No, go ahead, Wendy. Jason clarified at the beginning of our meeting that this was a model 
that has been successfully used, and that is why they used it. So whether that was through C Grant or whomever, I'm assuming C Grant. The strongly support, slightly support, you know, the A through Mm -hmm. E choices, it was a model, a standard model that they often use. So. Yeah. Well, Donna, I remember you bringing it up uh, when this first came to light about how Alabama was, you know, getting um, comments from the public and making the public more um, entrenched into the conversation. Um, is this meeting your standard of what they're doing as far as the clickers and votings and getting the opinions? Absolutely. I don't think that the, the fishermen themselves are getting shortchanged in any way, shape, or form of, of, of giving their, making their opinion heard on this, and also as far as being well-informed on, on, the, on the whole situation, on the operation and the procedure, and then finally at the, uh, the, 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 the whatever they arrive at as far as offering choices to the commission to make their vote. I think the opinion of the fishermen is going to be a strong influencer in, in what uh, action they take. Yeah. And, Wendy, I know we talked uh, last month about this, but if you can just give your overall review of the presentation. I um, I wanted to ask you a question real quick. Did you mm-hmm. get a number? Did you say how many people were voting at the meeting in Slidell? I did not. Gray, um, it was about 110 people. Uh, that registered to vote on the quickers? That Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah, you know, I think he mentioned it. I don't know if Don caught that as we were voting. It just doesn't come. I didn't remember the actual number. Don, how long? What what were the demographics? What were the demographics? Our group was 52% were over 60 years of age. Uh, We were even higher than that. (laughs) We were higher than that in Slidell. Yeah, I had the percentage. Actually, actually under 20 was 1%. So that's, that's another subject right there. But uh, let's see, 50 to 60 was 28%, over 60 was 58%. Okay, pretty close. Yeah, it's about the same. He said that's that's about what it was throughout all his, his presentation. Well, so. Jason prefaced the whole thing by saying we need to move quickly because we've got a lot of information to get through in a short amount of time. We're trying to keep that presentation part to an hour to allow time, um, you know, for public comment afterward. But... I just got the overall feeling that there wasn't enough time for people to look at the, if they hadn't done any homework ahead of time, and that's why I kept saying last month, if you get a chance to look at this presentation online, look at it before you go, because if that's the first time you've ever seen those graphs, to me it's a lot of information to try to to look at and absorb and understand in just a matter of seconds to register your vote. Did you find it was ample time for people to understand the slides? I understood them only because we've been talking about this for a year. <laughs> but right. for those that are brand new to it, yeah, I could see how they could struggle, especially when you hit the biomass charts. And uh, oof, it, it just is rough. But, I mean, I understood it. And like I said, but we've been, we've been, we've been seeing these numbers since, what, last spring. So, um, yeah. Well, I think he I also it made it very clear. I think he made it clear that if you didn't want to stand up and voice your opinion, that's not the only way to comment. In fact, it's probably not the best way. You can go home, digest the material that you saw, form an opinion, and shoot them an email or write them a letter. True. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I think for the most part, especially with the older, uh, over, over 60 being 
more than half of the the group. Uh, everybody kept up pretty good. So um, there there was some questioning with the if you want to make this throughout the, all of Louisiana or just keep it you know to local areas. And that was I think we had to redo that vote because that was uh, that was caused a little confusion. But other than that, um, no, I don't think there was too much confusion. Well, all right, we're gonna um, let's get to the break here, guys. Let's break it. And uh, when we get back, we're gonna talk about the uh, freshwater diversions and, and how that may be impacting these numbers. It was a it was a big factor as far as the ch- charter captains are concerned um, and the recreational fishermen at the meeting I attended. So we'll pick back up with that when we keep it tuned right here. We're talking speckled trout this morning on more outdoors. Welcome back to the show on Fish Talk. We're talking speckled trout this morning. Our beloved speckled trout fishing seems to be in jeopardy, or so says the Department of Wildlife and Fisheries. Uh, the department says they're looking to reduce the harvest of speckled trout by 20% in the next five years. And to do that, they've laid out numerous options as far as tightening the daily creel or, or reducing the minimum length or, or both. But uh, I want to get to something that I got the sense was a big issue at the meeting that I attended, and that was the fact that the biologists are excluding the freshwater diversions from the whole scenario. Uh, to me, it seemed like everyone that we heard from that commented mentioned the diversions, and whether you cut the limit down to 10, it really isn't going to matter because the fish just aren't going to come into the areas where there is now fresh water. So I'd like to get your take on this, Wendy. Uh, did you hear a lot from the people that claim the, the freshwater diversions were to blame? And What's your thoughts on the diversions? Should they, they be included into the, the equation? No, they didn't talk about that because they were very tight rein on the pop public comment section. Um, anybody that started to talk about anything else other than what, what was presented and what the options were was shut down right away. So I'm, maybe mm. Jason loosened up the rules on that. Um, but they really weren't allowed to go into other topics in the public comment because they wanted time for everybody to be able to say what they wanted to say about what the options were. Um, But I'm wondering what I have heard outside of the meetings in regard to freshwater is not so much about diversions, which most of which are not even completed yet, was the fresh water from the opening of the spillway, historical openings last year, um, both spillways. So are we talking about two different things here? I mean, I mean, fresh water is fresh water, but, but were they talking about the planned diversion specifically, Keith? Yeah, they were targeting the planned diversions. I think the opening of the spillway, was kind of lumped into their conversation, but they were, they were, you know, Mardi Gras passed. They were talking about specific uh, man-made diversions as far as that, that have come about in the recent years. But uh, yeah, I, I mean, some mentioned the spillway, but you know, what are you going to do about the spillway? The spillway, that's just, you know, that's automatic. That's going to open. So um, Don, well, were you able to when say, they need to, they open them when they need to open them. It doesn't happen every year. So that's, you know, that's a, the spillways, that's a more con- controlled thing. Um, right. We have had this freshwater diversion conversation several times over the last few years, and I go back to historically people had to go further out to reach saltwater to do their saltwater fishing, historically. 
But as the salt water intruded and encroached, those things changed, and we've just forgotten how things used to be, and we've gotten lazy, and, and we have, you know, speckled trout and redfish right out in front of the camp now, in the canals and in the bayous where it didn't used to be that way. So you see how things have cycled. So, and I know some of the old timers, and probably not not that you're an old timer, Don, but probably even Don remembers. He's probably seen this change over his history in in fishing, how things have changed. So, the other side of this coin is, if you want coastal restoration, you cannot you cannot have both. If you're going to do coastal restoration and you're looking at it as a big old huge picture and some of these areas will benefit from more sediment, and then some of them will benefit from a little bit more fresh water, and all of that goes hand in hand, well, you you can't fight against each other. You can't scream and shout that we want coastal restoration, but we also still want saltwater intrusion and fish off our front porch. It doesn't work. Yeah, I, I get exactly what you're saying. I think it's all about priorities, and I... I I often tell people it's like a picture. If you you picture a guy on his front porch with water halfway up his house saying, we need to do something about this, and then a fisherman driving by saying, oh, the fishing is terrible. <laughs> you know, it's two different spectrums that you're talking about. Don, were you able to uh, stay to the end of the meeting in Fidel? Did you hear any, any of those No, comments? I didn't. I, I left I left right after the presentation and the final votes. I didn't hear the, the comments, but it sounds like we're talking about two different issues with regard to freshwater. One, uh, I think they were probably at the wrong meeting if they wanted to argue against the diversion projects that the CPRA is planning to implement. That would be better off discussed in the CPRA meeting about coastal restoration. The other side of it was I did hear some people say that they thought the data was inaccurate because of the fresh water coming through the Bonnie Carey Spillway, the Mardi Gras Pass situation, and that they could not get a good handle on the speckled trout population because there's been so much fresh water. Well, the answer to that is, you know, the wildlife and fisheries has nothing to do as far as control about fresh water. They can certainly give their opinion to the CPRA and to the public on what the impacts of fresh water will do to saltwater species. But as far as them going out and doing samplings and avoiding freshwater areas, you can't do that. You've got to take the samplings in the habitat that's given you. And I think they did a good job of that. I don't know if they did a good job explaining it. But I think what you were probably hearing, and probably not so much in Wendy's meeting because it's not as big an issue over in Doularge and Cocodry area as it is in the Pontchartrain and the, uh, the, the lower Plaquemines Parish and, and Lafitte areas, uh, is that they wanted to argue about whether freshwater diversion is, is a worthy way to bring back the, the coast, given that you're going to displace saltwater species. And that argument would have been in the wrong place. This me- The purpose of this meeting was not to deal with that. It's certainly an issue. It's a tremendous issue. It's a large issue. But it shouldn't have been discussed at those meetings. Yeah, uh, well, I stayed for the whole thing, and um, they took their opportunity to, to complain about the you know all the freshwater we're seeing. Um, and they did mention the numbers not being right, so we could talk about that later on. Um, but I think it's just it's just tough. Uh, so many elements to this. As far as I wish we could just they could just get these numbers uh, on a you know without these freshwater diversions. Um, but I don't even know how you would factor the diversions into the numbers we're seeing. And maybe that's why they well, just the left body, it open. The- 
the Bonnie Carey issue could be one that you could maybe give a little bit less credence to because that, as Wendy said, is only an occasional, you know, it's becoming more and more regular, but it's not <laughs> planned that way. The freshwater diversions are permanent. If they put those right. in, that that's forever and ever. And, you know, you got to deal with what you got. So, you know, again, the, the, to take samplings, even during periods of a, a, a lot of fresh, the presence of a lot of fresh water caused by diversions, they need to do it that way. Why would you do it another way if you're not going to have diversions? Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I tend to listen to the, the charter captains. They are out there every day. They know, you know, they know what's going on. This matters to them. Uh, it's their livelihood. So, um, you know, when they when they speak, I listen as far as, you know, what's the blame for these low numbers. But, like I said, I just wish, man, we can just get some straight numbers without, you know, formulating fresh water and everything. But, Wendy, back to what you said as far as, you know, things fluctuating uh, and the, having to go further out to catch speckled trout and then working their way back in as the saltwater intruded. Um, are you talking before they started collecting the numbers? Because, I mean, some of these numbers are at an all-time low, and I think the they started collecting them at, in, was it early 90s? Um, I'm talking. I'm talking way before that. I'm talking about the okay. history of okay. our our coastal yeah. land loss since we've been keeping track of it and measuring it and instituting restoration projects. So, um, I don't know. Don Don may remember having to go um, further. <laughs> yeah, old as I am. Old as old as I am, I I still don't remember. A lot of it. I do remember as a real young person uh, seeing cypress trees in parts of St. Bernard that now uh, there's nothing but dead stumps and stuff there as a result of erosion. But actually, I mean, the, the peak of fishing for saltwater in the interior marshes was in the late 70s and 80s. That's when it was really peaking because, as you said, the saltwater intrusion created the edge effect that brought saltwater species in closer to fishermen's uh, you know, opportunity to get to them. But if you go way back, I'm talking 50s, 40s, uh, early 60s, yeah, there was a lot of freshwater areas, and you didn't have the good saltwater fishing. When they talk about the good old days, uh, it would have been in the 70s and 80s. That's when the peak of the fishing was, and now we're on the downslide because of loss of habitat. You know, it was poor in the beginning because there was so much fresh water so close in, you had to go further out. Then it got to the peak. It got real good because the salt water was in close. And now that we're pouring fresh water and mixing it in there, we're pushing them out again. But, you know, it's it's pretty simple stuff. But to argue, you know, again, they took the argument to the wrong place. If you want to argue against freshwater diversions, killing your salt water fishing, then you argue that with the CPRA. Uh, as far as what Louisiana Department of Wildlife and Fisheries has to do to restore speckled trout populations to a, a safe level, they got to do it dealing with the habitat they're given, which includes a lot of fresh water, and it's going to include even more. And, Keith, I don't know if you remember this, um, but you mentioned that, that year, 1990. I remember it well. I think it was around Christmas, maybe right before Christmas in 1989. We had snow. Down mm-hmm. here, we had a we had a terrible freeze. We had terrible conditions, and I know we had a serious fish kill. Um, Was that the biggest the freeze cold. that we saw that I'm remembering? I mean, I remember picking up fish out of the bayou in Lafitte. Um, it, when I see the charts, it shows different 
uh, winter kill indexes, but I, I distinctly remember that one. I think that was the one, 1990 or t- 1989. It was 89. December of 89, and then, so right. you mentioned lowest, numbers are lowest since they've been since 1990. So 1990 yeah. would have been coming off of the heels of that hard, hard winter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, all right, let's get to the break. Don, you, you brought it up. The numbers, uh, there was a little concern about how they get the numbers uh, that they presented to us. Um, that was a big question at the meeting I attended, just just how accurate are the numbers. So leave it tuned right here. More Hunt Fish Talk on More Outdoors, WWL 105.3 HD2. Welcome back to the show. This morning we're talking speckled trout. The department says they are looking to reduce the harvest of speckled trout by 20% in the next five years so how do we do it and that is the question but uh to start out with answering the question we need to have a a starting point and the starting point is the numbers that the state has come up with and i think we need to talk a little bit about this first off i want to get your take on what the comments were at the meetings to me it seemed like a lot of people were complaining that the numbers weren't accurate Um, i heard a lot of people saying they were never asked how many fish they were caught or about their past trips. So let me get to you first, Don, because I believe you're the most knowledgeable person in in the room. As far as knowing how these numbers are reached, it's my understanding that the uh, final numbers come from three sources that merge together, Um, one being the L.A. Creel numbers, the other uh, phone calls that go out, and the third are the catch results from those gill nets that the biologists operate across the state. Is that accurate? Yeah, that's exactly what I would think the the three sources are, and they, you know, combine them all together to come up with some numbers. But let me point out, I believe that there's three types of, of data. Number one, you have scientific, which is what we're talking about, doing the surveys, the lock reel, doing the, the gill netting samples. That's scientifically gathered data, and you analyze it in a scientific way. Another type is what we call empirical. In other words, it's not scientific, but Keith and Wendy, you know from fishing yourself, all the people we talk to in our business who fish, the general consensus is speckled trout fishing has been not good or as good as it has been for a number of years. We're not seeing the numbers of big fish. We're not seeing the numbers of total fish. Whatever the reasons would be, I think there is empirical evidence to a fisherman, and that was certainly reflected by people think that we need to change the regulations, it was 72% uh, who think we need more restrictions on, on some of the voting. And then the third type of information is anecdotal. My cousin, sister-in-law's husband told me that this was, a, you know, and that's strictly story tale stuff, old wives' tale. There's a lot of names for it. You don't. You mean the stuff the I'm really good that. at? <laughs> no, no, Wendy, you're pretty good at that, that, that scientific. But anecdotal stuff, just stories that people say, they told me this, or I remember this, or my Uncle Joe back in 19-whatever, you know, that's anecdotal. You don't put as much faith in it. But when the empirical evidence matches the scientific, which I think to a point, it's very, very close, I think you're on target. Unlike a waterfowl situation, which is in a crisis right now, they say the numbers are there. They're more than the, over the long-term average. But yet the empirical evidence, the people who trudge it out to the blind day after day and look at empty skies tell you, well, if they're there, where are they? Unlike the turkey situation where they tell us, we don't have any turkeys. we got to move the season back. we got to shorten it. We can't kill as many. 
And then people who go out there say, well, turkey population's fine. I got them all over the cameras. I hear them gobbling. We see them all the time. That is empirical evidence that does not meet the scientific evidence. But in this case, i got to tell you, it's very, very close what people will tell you they're seeing on the water and what the biologists are telling what the data shows. And I, and I think that's why people are going along with this more because their thoughts and their, what they're seeing is lining up with the numbers. So I think that's why but they're all, willing to you know, go ahead, Wendy. But all of the data was gathered by directly by the Department of Wildlife and Fisheries, correct? Uh, I think the um, um, uh, Rex Caffey, what's his organization again? The uh, Sea Grant. Sea uh, Grant. Sea Grant. I, I think they were involved in it too, in formulating the data accumulation. But, I mean, as far as the gill nets go, that's strictly wildlife and fisheries. Yeah. And Lock Brill gathering the information, that's strictly wildlife and fisheries. Right. I was just trying to figure out if, if all our data is coming from, all of our scientific data is coming from one place, mainly the Department of Wildlife and Fisheries. Yeah, I would say it probably is. And then, you know, the, the uh, Sea Grant program, they, them, their contribution may have only been the methodology of doing the, the public hearing. Correct. You know. I, um, for one, wish they, he, Jason would have spent a little bit more time on explaining um, the gillnet sampling and testing. I was very interested to know more about that. And it was just a very, you know, brief blip on the screen. But I would like to have known a little bit more about that. To me, that's, a, that's an important, an important um, factor in the whole accumulation of data. Because I yeah, know how Lockreal works. I know how the phone surveys work and the email surveys. But that part I know very little about. And I think that's significant. Yeah. To me, that would be like the number one way that we're gathering data. Yeah, well, and I don't if I'm not mistaken, guys. what they do is they, they set those gill nets in specified areas, and they repeat those areas to keep – you've got to have consistency. In other words, you've got to have them right. for, down for so long in a certain area at a certain time of the year so that you can compare apples to apples and apples to oranges. Now, if the habitat changes and, say, fresh water is invading it, well, then you're going to show less samplings in your gill net. But um, I think most of their surveys and the gill net thing pretty much matched up. And then their scientific evidence, I think, again, matched up with the empirical evidence is out there. How they got it, I'm not so much concerned with, you know, wanting to know the nuts and bolts of what they did. I'd rather look at the finished product. And when the finished product matches what the fishermen are seeing, it's got to be pretty close on target, if not exact. Well, I think some of us who are show-me people are probably the part of the population that, that don't trust the government and don't trust a study, show me the money, show me, show me, show me. Show me how you gathered this data so I can trust your science because this is a big deal and I want to trust your science. And I did hear quite a few people, quite a few fishermen, quite a few who attended the meetings and were interested. They really wanted to trust the science. So if, if first well, off, you, you've got to lay that groundwork to me there's no lack of reason why we should mistrust government in many instances believe me i'm one that's very skeptical of government you need to be but in this case i don't know if i see uh an agenda on the part of the wildlife and fisheries to give a a a, a forced result you know without looking at it unbiased I, i don't see where there'd be any gain in that 
Well, yeah. as Keith said, I mean, we, some people said they were never questioned, or they've never, they've never met anybody at the dock. Well, that's that's the yeah, way sam- samplings that. are done. Correct. Well, he answered that, and he said, "You got the their samplings are broken to two different things. There's a certain sample that just asks certain questions, and then and do not ask how much fish were catch caught, and then there's another one that goes out that asks how much fish are caught. So these people were just expressing their concerns that they weren't asked how much fish they were caught because they got one a different survey and jason tried to explain how that goes but as far as the numbers you know we got to start somewhere and (laughs) i mean we got to have some kind of starting point and you know a lot of the captains stood up at the meeting and they were given a chance to speak and they complained that they weren't surveyed but i mean you got to believe these numbers are the best numbers we have as far as, you know, being close to anything we're going to be able to get. So I believe if we take those numbers and, you know, they, they point to a big problem. Um, the slide that made the biggest impression on me was the graph that showed the percentage of age class that are spawning. And it showed that uh, 81% of the fish that spawn are the one-year-old age class. So that's one-year-old fish. So if we get a freeze or anything like that, uh, those one-year-old fish die. We we could have a tough time repopulating them. What's your thoughts on that? Well, d- definitely, yeah. And, and and again, the empirical evidence. There's not as many big fish showing up. Gill nets show it. Surveys show it. And the empirical evidence of people going out and fishing. I mean, look, it's just like Pontchartrain, Keith. I mean, you know, in the uh-huh. '90s, it was so common to catch seven, eight-pound trout coming off of the twin uh-huh. span. What do you? When's the last time you heard a big fish coming out of that area lately? I mean, it's been years. Yeah. It's in, it, yeah. it shows numbers it, it and size. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And I think we're suffering from uh, a double whammy as far as on in Lake Pontchartrain, all that fresh water, and the reduction of the the overall population of speckled trout. With mm-hmm. that, so well, let's get to a break right here. Uh, when we get back, we're gonna talk about where we go from here and, and where you guys fall as far as what you'd like to see with the limits being tightened. So we'll pick back up with that after we re- return. Keep it tuned right here. We're talking speckled trout this morning on More Outdoors. Welcome back to the show on Fish Talk. Talking speckled trout this morning. Uh, Louisiana Department of Wildlife and Fisheries has wrapped up their statewide meetings, and now all that's left is for the commission to see what they've come up with uh, as far as a recommendation. Don and Wendy, we've talked about a lot of things this morning, but when it's all said and done, we're most likely going to be looking at new regulations. Uh, Some of us will be upset, some will like it, but I'd like to get your opinion on what the new creel and the measurement should be and also what you think the verdict will actually be. Um, What will will the final outcome of this be? So, look, none of us are biologists. Uh, I know you can take my opinion with a grain of salt, but it doesn't hurt to to put it out there. So let's start with you, Wendy. What would you like to see, and what do you think the actual verdict will be? Oh, Keith. Um, I would be be willing to agree to a reduction in the creel to 15 fish, but I am not convinced on – increasing the minimum length. However, that wasn't a choice. Everyone, almost everyone that I heard from in this area, whether they went to the meeting or not, would agree to that. They were upset because what they would have agreed to was not on the list. So what they, by and large, would agree to around here is 15 fish, 12 inches. Evidently, that won't give us a 20% reduction over a five-year period. So your closest choice to that is 12 fish, 
13 inches. It, it, it's a quandary to me because I know how many of those under 12-inch fish don't make it, and I don't think the mortality rate was, the wildlife and fisheries mortality rate was high enough. When I take all that into consideration, I cannot come down to one of these choices for me that would be acceptable. But I, I would agree to a reduction in the limit, and I'm just not sure that increasing the minimum length is going to save us any fish. I just don't. Um, and I do want to remind everybody that Jason did explain um, on air with Don that there was no environmental impact study involved in this whatsoever because they're not equipped to do that. And the other thing, Keith, I wanted to add in case we don't ever come back to this topic again anytime soon, is that a lot of people, and I'm sure it's because of all the pictures on social media, still don't believe that the charters make up 1% of the landings. And and there's still some, some confusion of whether that 1% means charter fishing trips or just the take of the charter guide himself. And I don't think I'm, still, I'm clear on that. I think that's total charter tr- trips. Is that correct, Don? That's my thinking too. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so yeah. they're they're, and I think it's because of social media. They they will they do not believe that charter trips only account for one percent of the landings, neither here nor there. But that's what that's what they believe. So, you know, they're they're still they're still harping on that. They're they're not believing that information. Where I see this is probably going to go from the choices that are available is probably a 12, 12 and 13. Um, the, the other one is 25 fish with a 14 length. Some people may be very, very happy with that. Well, I'm looking at the graph right here, and you mentioned you'd like to see 15 with a 12-inch, and you can actually take the graph and, and mark it down. Now, it wasn't a, a selection that we could choose from, so it won't be an outcome, but if you look at this graph, um, you'll actually make progress with that, but it will take longer than five years, almost looks like 10 years, to get where you want to be. So Correct. as far as, you know, with what you would want, I would think it would work, but they want to get that five-year that five year range. Don, what do you think? Well, first I want to ask Wendy a question. Um, are you using scientific, empirical, or anecdotal evidence to dispute that 10% discard mortality rate? Um, I thought I thought they said 25%, or did they say 10% wildlife and fisheries? 10%. I, I, I guess it's I guess it's anecdotal. Hearing these people <laughs> okay. talk about when here, typically here. When you see the birds, you get in, get in a, a, a school, it's school, it's juvies, and people are so excited because they're on a double rig, and they're and it's springtime, and it's little fish, and the majority of them, you're going you're gonna to keep one out of maybe 15 or 20, and because they're on them, and it's hot and heavy, and I've seen this, they're just ripping them off the hook. They're not taking their time. They're not worried about the mortality of those fish, so whether that's Empirical partly and anecdotal partly, I've you know yeah. Well, do you have something different, Don? Well, I'm thinking if you get into fish like that with a 14 inch minimum, you're not going to stay on them. You shouldn't stay on them. But that that's an educational and an ethical behavior question it, there. True. But I'm thinking I'm thinking what I'm looking at. 
um, you know, you can go with a 14-inch minimum, and you can still keep your limit at 20 fish and still be over the 20% escapement rate that you need to do, increasing it. Uh, I think, and, and again, this is a combination of science and empirical evidence and some anecdotal what people want, because it's not Don Dubuque making this decision. It's going to be the Wildlife and Fisheries Commission with input from biologists and the public. But I'm looking, and I think it's going to land somewhere around a 14-inch minimum length and maybe 15 creel limit. I think that would be what most people say, at least the ones I've talked to, the ones that communicate with me, they would be happy with. And believe me, that 14-inch minimum, that's going to help keep that limit at 15 because uh, there's a lot of small fish that are going to get back into the water or not even be fish for if you put that in. Now, the but slot limit, I don't think that's going to... It's it not is. an option. Well, they haven't well, divulged they the list the yet. But in, maybe, maybe they changed well, they the haven't, options. Well, they haven't come up with the final options yet, but that was one that they were, these are all under consideration. But that's what, if you look at the graph, that's what it shows. You know, you could say at 14 okay. inch and still have 20 fish. But you could go to 15, you know, 15 under 14 inch and you'd raise it to about 30% if you went to that. Yep. Keith, let's, let's hear what you're thinking. What are you thinking? Where do you think it's going to land? Well, I- I think 13-inch minimum with a creel reduced to 12 looks to be like the choice they're going to get to. They're so focused on this five years, and they got to get in those five years. Um, haven't heard anything else about, you know, maybe going to 10 years. I don't know why that's not. I know you, you guys say that they 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 uh, analyze this every five years, and that's why they're focused on five years. But I don't know. Maybe maybe we don't have to go so drastic and maybe turn it into 10 years. But what's your thoughts on the, you know, the five-year thing? Well, if you go to 10 years and you have to wait 10 years before you get a reevaluation, <laughs> if the empirical evidence comes in and everybody starts catching plenty of fish and big fish show up and say, this thing is working better than we ever believed, you're going to be locked in to that regulation for five years longer yeah. than you would be. I think the shorter period of time you can get a reevaluation and then make some more changes to it, either go back up higher or go back down lower, um, I think that would be the best way to do it. Well, the last meeting was February 29th. And so, Don, do you, did Jason give you any idea when they're going to present the information to the commission? No, he told me that they, would, they still had the email waiting on those to come back. And then when they get all of the emails and the, the letters that are written and the public hearing data, they're going to analyze all of it. Then they will give the report to the commission. Then there'll be final disposition. It's got to go through a period of scrutiny. There's a process that they have to go through. I would not expect any regulations to change and be put in effect any earlier than October, possibly later. Okay. I'm just looking on the Wildlife and Fisheries website how they're listing the procedure after it goes to the commission. And whenever the commission decides, then they have to file um, – a notice, notice of, of intent. intent. Right, right. Yeah, right. that's why And it that's takes supposed a to have a public comment uh, period of time, too. Oh, really? Correct. I did not know that. Yes, yes, yes. And then after that, it goes to um, natural resources and legislative oversight process, which could be another yeah, 30 days. So yeah, don't and expect then it'll go back uh, to the public hearings. For the final rule. Right. After the I'm notice sorry, of intent, I wouldn't I wouldn't expect public hearings again. I mean, it'll be open for public comment, but it'll only be by email or personal appearance at the commission meetings. They won't Let they won't see have what their wording is on here. And does that have the power to sway them or is it just 
tell us well, what you think. It's, it's on them. Be this, be it's it, yeah. It's on them at that point, and you know that brings up another whole uh, can of worms: is uh, the selection of commissioners. Or is it the, are the best people with uh, less vested interest being put in on the commission? You know, because they're appointed at the pleasure of the governor. You don't get them; they're not voted in, they're not selected. No influence by the public on who goes in there. Yeah. Well, I think it's clear that something needs to be done. So hopefully, uh, man, hopefully they could do what they did with Speckle Trout. I mean, if if this works, you know, especially going if they go to fourteen, I really think that's going to turn this whole area into a lot bigger fish being caught because you always see the 11 and a half caught. So I got to think that if, if you turn it to like a 14 inch, maybe we'll see 13 and a half inch fish being caught, 14 inch being caught right at that, that line. So hopefully it all well, works. I don't, know, I, don't know if you, I don't know if you remember there was a valley of tears and a wrenching of hands when they said we're going to five redfish. I don't hear a whole lot of people complaining about that. Worked out quite nicely, huh? (laughs) (laughs) I think the same thing would happen with speckled trout over time. Yeah. Takes time. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm sure we'll talk about this numerous times uh, on Huntfish Talk. Uh, Great talking with you You guys this morning. Uh, Yeah. Oh, definitely. (laughs) But run out of time. Don, you're going to pick back up next week. More outdoors. I'll be a part of that show when I bring you a North Shore Fishing Report from 8 to 9. Uh, We'll be talking a lot of Sokolay. Sokolay spawn is in full effect. So we'll talk. And we're going to have a fisherman who is abducted by aliens in the 7 o'clock hour. You don't want to miss that. Oh, man. I got to see what that's all about. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Great talking with you guys. Bye. Stay safe out on the water and stay safe out on the land as well. Bye. Don't drink no Coronas. See y'all later. (laughs) Okay. Picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend, or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.